So listen, in the seat backs in front of you is a connecting card. And I'd love for uh, those of you who are new or visiting for the first time, if you'd grab one of those connecting cards and fill that out, we'd love to know that you're here with us. And, and I welcome you. Uh, on the card, you'll notice a few things that might be of interest to you. You'll notice that there's a place there that says, I'd like to have lunch with a pastor. You say, is there any such thing as a free lunch? Yes, there is. Mark that on your card. I'd love to have lunch with you and tell you more about what God's up to in this part of St. John's County and how he could use you with us to further his kingdom here. There's a few things coming up Tuesday night. I would love for, for all of you to be here on Tuesday night. I would love for us to spend the evening together in community singing to Jesus and preparing our hearts for, for what starts on Wednesday, 40 days leading up to Easter. Uh, in many traditions, it's called Lent. Um, that's something that you borrow in my vocabulary. Um, but in the church, it's a time of preparation leading up to Easter, which is the biggest, um, biggest day in the Christian calendar when Jesus rose from the dead. So I just urge you to join us on Tuesday night. Um, join us to worship and to pray and, and to make a big deal about Jesus together. One, one other thing, just grab your phones, mark on your calendar these dates, June 12th through the 16th. Listen, if you, if you have kids who plan to be a part of EBS, make sure you have that on your calendar. And, and if you plan to serve, uh, and I hope you will, uh, we have a great opportunity to make Jesus famous amongst the next generation uh, through our Vacation Bible School. So mark it on your calendar so you don't miss it uh, or plan anything else during that time. Now, uh, grab your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And listen, I, I really hope that you'll bring a Bible with you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can follow along on the screen. But it's good to read along. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And, um, and I know you're just waiting, wondering, why is John on the stage? <laughs> It's coming. It's coming. All right. No, you did great. So here, here's God's word. It's inspired and errant and fallible. It's sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. It is a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, 
likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, nor addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this week and over the next several weeks, we're going to do a series on leadership in the church. And so for the next three weeks, I'm going to give you the chance to get to know our elders just a little bit better. And so John Swinghammer is here, is one of our elders. And uh, so John, tell us, how long have you been serving as an elder here at Good News Church? Is this one on? Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so I've been part of Good News since 2005. No, no, no. Sorry, that's a lie. 2015. Yes. Yes. Missed and one. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a decade too short. Um, but I've been serving as an elder since 2020, so three years. Mm-hmm. Great. And so what has serving as an elder taught you about God, and what has it taught you about yourself? Um, well, it's really taught myself um, about grace, having mm. grace for leaders, leaders in the church, and then also just to give myself grace as well. How I need grace, everybody needs really grace, and yeah, I mean, there only was one person that was perfect, it's not me, it was Jesus, and uh, so people are not perfect, I'm not perfect, we're not, we're, we're just trying to do the best that we can, and um, to lead the church. Amen. So you talk about grace and about Jesus, so what's something that's been amazing you about Jesus lately? Really just his selflessness to, to give himself for us, for me, mm. for just for me, and that he just continues to want to have a relationship with me. And it's like, how do you, how do you build a relationship? It's getting to know someone, and then mm. he wants to know me and wants me to know him, and the, you know, the way to do that is spend time with him. Amen. You know, one of the ways we spend time with Jesus is to pray. So why don't you pray for us as we study God's word together? Absolutely. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this beautiful just day that you've created for us, for this just amazing creation that you have for us. Um, God, I just ask that you bless us, just watch over us as we spend some time in your word, getting to know you, your amazing love for us and just how much that you want a relationship with us, God. And uh, I just ask that you'll bless the speaker today and that you just bless our afternoon and that you just have an amazing day being able to enjoy what you've created for us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. (laughs) John prayed for our afternoon. John prayed for our afternoon. Some of you probably thought, does that mean Dave's going to talk until it's afternoon? I'm going to try really hard not to. I'm going to try really hard. So um, he did mention that, that there's only one perfect leader, and his name is Jesus. 
And it's so important that we understand that. Many years ago, in 1961, at Yale University, a study was done called the Milligan Experiment. And they took students, and they told the students that they were supposed to uh, hit a button and electrocute a person who was being given a memory test. If the person got the test wrong, if they got the memory answer wrong, they were supposed to hit the button, and that would bring an electric shock to the person. Two-thirds of the people involved in the experiment did it, even when they were told that they were actually delivering a near-fatal dose of electricity to the person that they were torturing. And the reason they did it is because of the principle of deference, deference to leaders. And that's one cliff that we can fall off of when it comes to leadership. We can be too deferential to leaders. And if we have the wrong leader, it can lead to disaster. But there's another cliff. And on the other side of the cliff is just this spirit of autonomy and independence that refuses to submit to any leadership. Leadership in the home, leadership in the church, leadership in the academy, leadership in the marketplace. There's a spirit in our age of, of autonomy and independence and a refusal to submit so we can be too deferential to leaders or we can be too independent and autonomous from leaders. And I don't know where you fall off of on those two cliffs, but I would just invite you over the next three weeks to explore with me that in the church, there's one great leader, and his name is Jesus. And in the church, Jesus has given leaders as a gift to his church. He's given and entrusted the, the task of leading the church to men who need his grace, men who need your prayers, and he invites us to follow him as we submit, just as you heard a few minutes ago, as we submit to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace. This morning, what we're going to learn is that everything rises and falls with leadership. Everything rises and falls with leadership. And I want us to see three things this morning as we explore that main point. If everything rises and falls with leadership, I want us to understand the importance of leadership. I want us to understand the identity of our leaders, and I want us to respond to an invitation to leadership. The importance of leadership, the importance of leadership is, is clear. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. There's only, uh, there's three times in the book of Timothy where Paul uses this phrase, it is a trustworthy statement. The first use is in chapter 1, verse 15. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost of all. So the first trustworthy statement 
is that there's no perfect leaders. The second trustworthy statement is that we need leaders. And the third trustworthy statement is the, that there's hope. There's hope that one day the one perfect leader, Jesus, is going to come again and restore everything that's been broken by human sin. But in the center is this idea that it is, a, it is in a trustworthy statement that the church needs leaders, that everything rises and falls with leaders, with leadership. Leadership is important. It's critical to the church. And it's been that way all through the one story of the Bible. Go to Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus 18, you see an example of the importance of leadership in the life and ministry of Moses. Exodus 18, verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you're doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate uh, dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you. But every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over Israel, over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his own land. And so Moses illustrates in the Old Testament the necessity and the importance of leadership that it was too great a burden or task for one man to lead Israel alone. And Moses was entrusted with the task of teaching and equipping faithful men who would lead Israel, men who would lead over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, shared leadership and scaled leadership. Leadership is important. Having the right leaders and having leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens and trained leadership, Moses illustrates the fact that everything rises and falls with leaders. Jesus, Jesus illustrates the fact that he saw the importance of leadership. In Luke chapter 6, in Luke chapter 6, 
we see Jesus choosing the 12 men who would be his apostles. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, Luke 6, verse 12. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to them, to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus illustrates the importance of leadership and that he invests all night in prayer. He's invested a year and a half with the men who have been following him and getting to know his claims as the Messiah. And, and now he invests an entire night in prayer to the Father, asking that from amongst those who have been following him during the early year and a half of his ministry, God would identify those 12 men who would become apostles. And even as he prays, Jesus knows that one of them would become his betrayer. And even in betraying Jesus, he would have a key role to play in accomplishing the purpose of God for Jesus. But Jesus illustrates in this passage how important men were to his method of reaching the nations with the message of the gospel, who is the gospel, Jesus himself. That men were his method of accomplishing his purpose in the world, taking the gospel to the nations. And so he prays and he identifies those leaders who would be with him and that he would send out to preach. So the Old Testament illustrates the importance of leadership. Jesus illustrates the importance of leadership. The apostles, after Jesus' ascension to the Father, they demonstrate the importance of leadership in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we see the apostles gathered together waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And at this time, Acts 1 verse 15, at this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of, a, of about 120 persons was there together, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas." who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. Ugh. It became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. And let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who, I have, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, 
and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So the apostles illustrate the importance of leadership and that after one of the positions of leadership amongst the twelve had been vacated through Judas's disobedience, Peter stands up and says, It is critical in fulfillment of the psalm, let another take his office, take his place. Let's appoint another replacement for Judas amongst the twelve. And he sets out the requirements for this office, that they had been with Jesus from the time of his baptism until the time of his ascension, so that they could be eyewitnesses with them of all that Jesus had done and taught them. They put forward two men, they pray, and then by lot they select one, being confident that God was working through this method of prayerful dependence upon him in his providence, his care over his church. So the apostles illustrate the importance of leadership. They learn that from Jesus. And then finally, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes to one of the other first-generation pastors after the apostles, and he writes to Titus, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament after the Acts of the Apostles, Paul understood the importance of leadership. So what have we learned so far? So far we've learned that everything rises with leaders and that leaders are important all through the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the life of Jesus, in the life and ministry of the apostles, and in the early church, as evidenced by Paul and his letter to Titus and his direction to appoint elders in every place. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy and let's see the identity of these leaders who are called and responsible for leading the church. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, in 1 Timothy 3, there's two offices described in the church. The first is the office of elder or overseer, and the second is the office of deacon. Now, many churches will land on the word deacon, and deacon means servant. Deacons were an, are an office within the church who serve, so that the elders or overseers are given all the time that they need to minister to the church through the word and prayer and the pastors and teachers are given the time they need to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And so 
deacons are a special office within the church who are called to serve. Now, in some churches, they pick up on this idea of servant leadership, and so they identify their leaders as deacons. You'll notice that in verse 1, in verse 1, the word that Paul uses to describe the office of elder is the word overseer. Now, the word overseer in Greek is episkopos. And so in some church traditions, in some church traditions, they'll set apart their leaders as bishops or overseers, and they'll, they have a hierarchical church government. And in, in that form of church government, we call Episcopalian. But the office of overseer is identical to the office of elder. And the word for elder in the New Testament is the word presbyter. And so when you come to Good News Church, you'll notice that we have elders and we are a Presbyterian church, which means that we're led by a group of mature men who help oversee or lead the church to accomplish its purpose. In the New Testament, the office of overseer and the office of elder are identical. They're the same. Now, let me show you that. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, you see the word overseer. But in chapter 1 of Titus that I just read a moment ago, you see the word elder. And in each case, if you read along in Titus, you'll see that all the responsibilities and all the requirements of an elder are identical to an overseer. So it must be that they're the same. Overseers and elders both refer to the same office, the office of leadership in the church. Now, let me illustrate this from my own life. In my home, I am referred to by my wife as what? How does she know me? Husband. Now, my children, they know me as what? Father. And the IRS, the IRS knows me, unfortunately. The IRS knows me as what? The head of household. And so, how many of me are there? There's one of me. I'm known to my wife as husband, my kids as father, and the IRS as head of household. And it's the same with leaders in the church. There's one office of leadership in the church, the elder. And the elder is referred to in the New Testament both as elder, referring to his maturity in the faith, and he's referred to as overseer, referring to his work, which is to lead the church and to help us accomplish our purpose. So we've seen so far the importance of leadership, and we've seen the identity of the leaders, that they're overseers or elders. Now, let's see the invitation to leadership in the church. So how do we identify and raise up leaders for the church? Now, you'll remember a few weeks ago and when I shared our strategic plan, that how important it is for us to be led well as a church. And we've identified leadership 
as one of our strategic objectives as a church, that we want to make sure that Good News has a plan for the ongoing leadership of the church. You'll see that there is our second um, strategic goal in our three-year strategic plan, leadership, because everything rises and falls with leadership. So where would those leaders come from? Well, let's turn over to Acts chapter 14. This is one of my favorite little summary verses in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14. We'll start in verse um, 21. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, it says this, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they, commanded them to, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, what you see in those verses is a description of the elder training and disciple-making pathway that Jesus followed and that the apostles followed after the model of Jesus. Jesus shows us how to live and how to do ministry. He's our model for life and ministry. He's our Savior, and He's our righteousness, but He's our model for life and ministry. And so Jesus demonstrates in His life and ministry the importance of winning the lost and building believers and equipping workers and multiplying disciple-makers. And isn't that just what you see happening through the ministry of Paul here in the book of Acts? Paul begins... The pipeline of raising up leaders for the church begins with evangelism. It begins with the gospel. How do we raise up leaders? The same way we do anything in the church, through the power of the gospel. How are we going to raise up leaders? We're going to raise up leaders by preaching the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel has bad news. The bad news of the gospel is that None of us have led ourselves well, and none of us should lead the church well. In fact, we're all not by nature rebels against God. That we've committed crime after crime after crime against God, and the God that we've sinned against is holy, and therefore we're all in big trouble. But the good news of the gospel is that God has made a way for sinners, rebels, to be brought back into a forever relationship with him. And the way that he's made for that relationship to be restored is through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is God the Son, and Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived. Then he died the death we deserve to die, and he rose again from the dead, and he invites us to put our trust in him. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his ministry, and he says, 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that the king has come. And the king says, repent and believe. The king says there are two ways for you to live your life. You can live your life with you on the throne of your life. You can live the self-directed life. And if you do, you're responsible to direct all your decisions and all your actions. And listen, whoever sits on the throne carries the burden. So if you want to lead your own life, rule your own life, and sit on the throne of your life, you can, but you'll carry the burden. Or the king comes and says, you can invite me to take possession of the throne of your life, and you can let me direct all your decisions and actions. And I will carry the burden of your life. I'll carry the burden of your sin, and I'll provide for you the burden of your righteousness. And if you'll put your trust in me by repenting and believing the gospel, I'll come into your life and I'll sit on the throne of your life and I'll put your life back together the way God designed it to be. Have you ever repented and believed the gospel? Have you ever turned from from living the self-directed life to living the Christ-directed life? Have you ever invited Jesus to come in and take his rightful place on the throne of your heart? If you haven't, won't you do that today? Listen, the only way for us to be invited into leadership, leading ourselves and leading in the church, is if we begin with the gospel, that we believe in Christ. So believe in him. Turn from the self-directed life and say yes through faith to inviting Jesus in to sit on the throne of your life as your one great leader. And if you will, then Jesus says, I'll come into your life and I'll begin to direct your decisions and actions and I'll begin to build you up. I'll begin to change the way you see yourself and you see others. In the church, in Acts 14, it says that Paul strengthened the souls of the disciples. That when a person puts their trust in Jesus, they move from being lost to now being a follower. And as a follower, they begin to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're strengthened in their following of Jesus through the encouragement to continue on in the same faith that got us started in the Christian life. But notice that then a person, some people within the church are then called to lead the church. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, did you notice that the whole thing from beginning to end is by faith. The Christian life is not an achieved life. The Christian life is a received life. We get started by faith in Christ. And we're saved from our sin through faith in Christ. We're built up through faith in Christ. And we're encouraged to go on believing in Christ. And then we lead. We lead by faith in Christ. 
trusting, depending, drawing life from him moment by moment as leaders in the church. So so what kind of leaders should we entrust ourselves to? We should entrust ourselves to leaders who have faith, clearly have saving faith, clearly have maturing faith, but also have leading faith. It takes a lot of faith to lead in the church. There's so many things you come up against in leading the church that that you don't know the answer to, and so you trust the Lord. You go to the scriptures and you believe that what he's promised, he'll also perform. So the invitation, the invitation to leadership starts by saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and then going on with him, and then, and then saying yes to his invitation to some to lead by faith in the local church. Now this week, as you think about this message, I'd invite you to think about the application of this message with one word, and that's the word from 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, and it's aspire. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's a good thing that he desires to do. Now, now let me just say, some of you, some of you say, well, Dave, listen, I listened to the message last week, and you seem to indicate that there were some, that, that the office of elder or overseer was only for men, and I'm a woman, and so how can I aspire to lead? Well, we can all aspire to, to lead well, lead ourselves well. We can all aspire to lead people to the Savior. Did you know that, that there was a woman, one of my heroes, her name's Henrietta Mears? Henrietta Mears led a Sunday school class at Hollywood Presbyterian Church in, in Los Angeles. At one time, this woman had over 6,000 college age and young adult people in her Sunday school class. 6,000. And let me tell you some of the people who were in her class. Billy Graham was in her Sunday school class. Dawson Troutman was in her Sunday school class, who started the ministry called The Navigators. Jim Rayburn was in her Sunday school class, who started the ministry Young Life. Bill Bright was in her Sunday school class, who started the ministry Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, did Henrietta Mears lead the church as an elder? No. Did she lead the church as a pastor? No. But did she provide men the opportunity to aspire to leadership? Yes. So listen, if you're here and you're a woman, I know that behind every man who leads well in the church is a woman who encourages him and prays for him to aspire to leadership. Now, there's a humorous example of that in the Gospels where James and John's mother brings them to Jesus. I just picture her taking her two sons by the ear and dragging them to Jesus and saying, Jesus, my sons have something to ask you. And Jesus says, well, what do you want? And they say, we'd we'd like to have the special position of leadership in your church. We'd like to sit on either side of you when you come in your kingdom. Now listen, 
they had a lot to learn about what leadership is. But the instinct that their mother had and the instinct that they had to aspire was right on. They needed to learn humility, absolutely. But their aspiration to lead in the people of God was right on. And so it is for us. We should aspire. We should aspire. You say, well, listen, I'm young. I'm still in high school or I'm still in college or I'm still in my 20s. And and you said that an overseer is mature in their faith. They're an elder. What should I do? Start now to aspire to leadership. Start now to aspire. Get to know Jesus now. Begin to share your faith now. Begin to learn to pray in faith and trust God now. Begin aspiring now for the ministry that he'll give you in the future. All of us can do that. All of us can learn to abide in Jesus. This week, we're starting a brand new book in our reading through the New Testament, the book of Mark. And so if you grab your studies and and start with us tomorrow morning in Mark chapter 1, throughout the next several weeks, we're going to be reading through the gospel of Mark together. Jump in. Aspire to leadership by getting to know the one great leader, Jesus. Some of you, some of you, as you've heard the message, as you've heard the description of of who, of how important leaders are, as as you've seen in the scripture the identity of these leaders, and as you've heard the invitation to leadership, for some of you, There's been the beginning of an internal call by the Holy Spirit to say, I think that God might want me to be equipped to lead the church. You can. I would love to to take the time to invest in you and equip you as a follower of Jesus. And then I'd love to equip you as an elder. So if you sense that, that internal call of the Holy Spirit, grab your card, Put down on there, Dave, I want to meet with you and talk to you about what it would mean to become a follower of Jesus who could bear fruit. And I want to talk to you about what it would mean to become a leader in the church. Listen, we have opportunities to lead, not just as elders, but we have opportunities to lead as small group leaders who provide member care for our church. And we have opportunities to lead and areas of ministry with kids and students. We're always needing to raise up leaders for the church. And that's why we're going to spend the next two weeks looking more at this passage and learning what Jesus teaches us. But what have we learned today? Today we've learned that everything rises and falls with leadership. And so it's important that we know who the leaders are, that we identify our leaders, and that we invest ourselves in saying yes to the invitation to follow Jesus so that we can become the kinds of people who aspire to lead at the highest possible level. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving gifts to your church, and thank you for the gift of the leaders who lead so well here at Good News Church. And thank you for 
for men and women who pray for our leaders and, and thank you for the invitation to submit to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace. Jesus, when I think about what it means to be a follower of leaders and, and when I think about what it means to be a leader of your church, Jesus, I admit how much I desperately need you. And Jesus, I pray, I pray that you would, would begin a work at Good News of just continuing to, to draw us to your feet. You're the one great leader of your church. And you've entrusted the leadership of your church to deeply flawed people who, who just simply trust you. So Lord, I pray that we trust you today. And Lord, for some of us, today is a day where we start the Christian life. We start the Christian life by leaving the self-directed life to live the Christ-directed life. And we say yes to submitting to you as Savior and Lord. And if that's you this morning, won't you just say to Jesus now, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you lived and died and rose again for me. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you show each person here what it means to aspire, to pray and become followers of Jesus who could make other followers of Jesus, who could then become leaders in your church. Lord, continue to raise up those leaders, for I pray in your name. Amen.